Welcome to Writing Black Joy Season 2. I am Sophia Robinson and I'm a writing coach and an editor and a story listener as well as the producer of Writing Black Joy, a virtual space that celebrates, centers and promotes the voices of Black writers and storytellers with joyful and uplifting stories. Here, you'll find conversations with some of my favorite Black writers and storytellers. Learn more about their projects and the joy they're bringing into the world. Hear more about their creative process and find inspiration for your own creative ventures, as well as tips and strategies for writing poetry, blogs, creative nonfiction, fiction, plays, and so much more from all types of writers, as well as a sneak peek into the writing life. You can even find your next favorite writer, book, poem, play, or blog. And if you are a Black writer who is looking for a coach or an editor to help you bring your joyful story into the world, then click on my website below to find out how to work with me. In the meantime, let's go to today's guest. My guest today is Yvonne Ator. She is a multi-passionate writer at heart who writes haikus, newsletters, poetry, and whatever else takes her fancy. She's also the coach behind The Thriving Idealist, and she coaches high-performing, stress-adult individuals who have hit a wall and want a different life but have no idea where to begin. Now, one of the things Yvonne and I talk about is WDS, and you'll hear her mention WDS a few times. Um, And WDS is the World Domination Summit. If you want to know what it is, I have to say it's a gathering of creatives, Uh, I'm going to get into trouble for saying this, but (laughs) I always describe it as a conference because it's kind of hard to describe it to anyone who hasn't actually been there. But I've also had a couple of other guests who were WDSers. There was Jeff Harry from season one and Gary Weir, whose episode dropped a few weeks ago. So when you hear her talking about WDS, that's what it is. Yvonne and I also talk about her writing journey and how writing was a constant part of her background how the pressure to go into a traditional profession meant that she dismissed her writing abilities for years. Why she is taking back the term idealist, which I love because I'm a bit of an idealist. You're going to hear about that more in the conversation. Uh, She talks about her journey with writing daily haikus and building the habit of consistently creating and sharing them, no matter if she thought it was good or not. And we talk about how she moved out of hiding and into plain sight, as well as so much more. And as always, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Writing Back Joy. Today, I'm joined by my twin, Yvonne. We met at an event and instantly we became twins. So, yay. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we do look alike. And, and I cannot believe you have dimples. I don't think I ever noticed that you had dimples. Yeah, you have the do. same kind of dimples. I cool. know. See, because we're twins, of course. So um, Yvonne is many, many things. I'm going to let her do a bit of an introduction for herself. And obviously, I've, I've said a few things about her already, which she would have heard in the introduction. But Yvonne is a writer at heart, which is my favorite kind of writer. Uh, and we also have many other things in common. So we're going to dive into that. Um, anything else you want folks to specifically know about you before we get started, Yvonne? That I didn't start off as a writer. I think, um, I, so my background, I have a background in medicine and uh, public health. And I, I did go to med school, got my medical degree, and then got a master's in public health. And, um, you know, uh, the whole journey, the whole purpose, uh, the initial plan was, you know, become, you know, a doctor and do medical missions and travel around the world and save the world that way. But looking back, I even realized that the my application for med school was actually like probably because I probably knew how to write or or that I loved writing, right? And and mm. so my application was actually about doctor musicians because I'd read a an article about doctor musicians and I play guitar and I was so like amazed that there were doctors who were musicians as well. And I wrote a whole thing that had nothing to do with medicine. I just wrote this whole thing about (laughs) how it was meant to be, blah, blah, blah. But I'm realizing that most of the things I've gotten into is probably because like I wrote something really passionate and that was what got me in. But as a child, like I was always like a reader. And as a child, uh, this probably give you some insight into me because I've already mentioned medicine and music, but as a child, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. Hmm. 
okay, interesting. I liked planes, yes, but that, but that's not why. So as an adult recently, I realized looking back, I was a huge reader. And the reason I liked, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer was because I liked those two words together and I liked <laughs> how aeronautical was spelled. Well, that's a great reason to go into a career. I don't know how you would have felt about it when you got there, but because one of my, my um, I had a roommate at university who studied aeronautics. Uh, she ultimately became an attorney, but uh, yeah, sometimes some things sound much more exciting than they actually are yeah. when, you, when you dive into it. And uh, I think that like last time Ivan and I had a conversation, we have so much in common. So most people don't know um, what I actually do for a living. I hardly ever talk about it, even though I know that you know what I do, <laughs> right? Yes. And uh, so also in healthcare, also did public health, was totally fascinated by it. But, um, and one of the things that I really, I don't know if you've ever heard of narrative medicine, but it's something that I become pretty obsessed with recently. And I was like, if I was 10 years younger, I'd probably go and study it now. So even in the whole healthcare thing, I've, I think I've, I was always a reader, I always liked writing uh, yes. and I, I enjoyed it. I, lo I always loved a good story. I love to tell a good story. I love to hear a good story. Yeah. So even yeah. the podcasts, I'm loving having all these conversations, hearing all these stories and kind of like sharing them. Yeah. So that you're a dentist, right? You're, I am you a dentist, were, yes. It's funny. I studied dentistry. I was, I was on the path. I first chose dentistry before I switched to medicine. So that's so, that's so yes. interesting. Yeah, I know, right? I, I, I almost never tell people what I do because there, I, I, was, I was saying there must be a lot of people out there on the internet who are thinking, gosh, what does she do for a living? <laughs> She's like, I never, ever talk about my day job. But yeah, I am a dentist for it's quite crazy. some time. So glad to have you. So tell us a bit about your writing journey. I know you, I know you've been obviously published and in many capacities, big and small. So tell us a bit about your writing journey. A writing journey. So like I, I was, I always start off as being a reader because I, because I say that because like, so part of my journey, I was born in the UK and, um, and I was a pretty big reader then. And then my family moved to Nigeria. My family is Nigerian. And what I remember the most about my years in Nigeria before we went back to the UK and then came here during my years in Nigeria, I was known as the bookworm. Like I was, I was always reading, but like the idea of writing was, I never thought that that was, and I just thought it was the things that the books came from people who were amazing somewhere out there in the world, right? It was not part of my environment. So I didn't know anything about writing. I thought it was something that, you know, the British writers did and then sent to, to us, right? I read a, mm -hmm. I read a lot of Enid Blyton. Me too. Um, yes. Yeah. And so like, you know, it was just this thing that was so far removed. So when I was like in, in middle school, high school, I was in this gifted school, the first one in Nigeria, and they drafted all the kids from all over the, the, the country. That's the quote unquote kids with the highest IQs. And like, they've created a special school for us and they shipped us off to the school. And it was there that I started like seeing that there are kids who could write. I didn't think I could write. I didn't think anything of it. I just, I mean, you're supposed to either do medicine, law, accounting, engineering, or architecture or right. So like, I was already like thinking about which funnel I was going to go through. So like, I never thought about writing. Um, but I remember I, we would have these writing exercises and my teacher was always like too short, too short. And I was always like, does she, does she like, why is she always saying too short? I just thought, you know, a writing exercise, just wrote what you thought. And that was it. But apparently looking back now, like she saw something in me and wanted me to explore like my ideas more. It seemed like something about how I was expressing myself, she was very interested in. So it was, that was like, I feel like that was the very beginning of my journey. When that teacher, whoever she was, I just remember always like all of my assignments, too short, too short. And so that then made me feel like, oh, maybe I do have something to say. And she mm. thinks I have something to say. So I need to start expanding on my idea. So that was the first time. Then the second inkling, the second inkling um, about writing came um, like in my late mid teens, late teens, when I was seeing someone and just like, I don't know what happened, but I'd never written a poem before, but 
I knew he loved me and I was trying to like do something for him. So I wrote him a poem and it was like a page long poem. I just remember talking about the king because his name was, you know, had king in it. And he was crying when wow. I was done. Like when I gave it to him, he was crying and he was telling everybody about it. And like, I was just like, I just wrote something and I, I mean, and it wasn't really like intentionally a poem. So those were the first two times I was like, I think something about the way I express myself is, it has an impact on people. And then mm. when I came to the States and then um, I had to, for, 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 it's just part of assimilation. Most times when immigrants come here, they have to like remediate a lot of their, their journey. And even though I was already in college, um, in, in Nigeria, I had to go back to high school. So when I was in high school, cause I was already young, I started co college at like 16, but when I was in high school here in the States, there was an essay that, so it was my first time being in an American high school and, um, we were in the South. I didn't think anything of it, but they had this award. I think it was like daughters of the Confederacy, <laughs> like <Okay>. something <laughs> or wow. award. And I, I didn't know anything about it. I just, mm. but it was a scholarship. Mm. There was some kind of scholarship. And I didn't, I didn't know anything about the, the scholarship. And, but we we're supposed to write about something that had to do with like an unexpected thing. And I remember writing about how, when I was in the UK, I, I just, I just arrived from Nigeria um, and um, on a trip and somebody had helped me with my suitcase. And I wrote about how the, um, the person didn't care about what I looked like or the color of my skin, I think, and, and just like helped me out. And I was talking about how like it was important to something about that. So apparently the teachers couldn't decide who won or rather maybe looking back, it would have been weird for me being the only black kid uh, um, um, to win it. So they had, and again, I was a new kid. It was my first year there, but they had all the seniors vote on who was going who who should get the, who should get the award, which is interesting because they didn't read my, they didn't read my article, uh, my, my essay. Mm. So it became like, they allowed the high school students to pick who was going to get the award, even though we're supposed to write the essay for it. So for it, yeah. I'm suspecting that, right? So, so, so some popular kid who, who they had to decide between our essays. And so they became, they couldn't decide. So then they had the high schoolers, the seniors vote except that they didn't read the essay. So looking back now, I'm like, huh? <laughs> but, but that was another time when I was like, oh. And then there was another um, assignment where we were reading um, the, um, oh, what was it? Um, what's this thing you read in high school? Uh, but I had to be the bard. I was going to be a bard. And Is it like the Odyssey? It was not the Odyssey, but something like that though. Uh -huh. um, and we all had parts to read. And for the homework, I was just supposed to like write something like, you know, playing the, uh, the, the role the of the bard. And I wrote my first song. I wrote a song and performed it for the class. And they were just like, Whoa. so like, it was these like things that I'll just do just thinking I'm just doing random stuff, like no brainer. Mm. And each time I would do it, people would go, okay, like, wow. And so that was when I started realizing, okay, there's something here. But again, I was on the mission. I was going to be a doctor. And, mm. you know, so <laughs> this is just yeah. something that apparently has an effect on people, but oh, well, whatever. But over and over again, there was this thing of like, when I have an assignment, I don't usually, I didn't really sit down to write, but if there was something that I had to do when I would write something, it would be, you know, this thing that was um, well received. I ended up being the salutatorian. At, um, when I was graduating from high school and I had to write something, same thing, I had to speak. And I was the new kid. So so there are all these little dots. I've never really talked about my writing journey. This is the first time I'm talking about mm. it. Um, but um, it was obvious that there's something there. But again, I never thought, just like with music, I just never, you know, when you're programmed to think about only five professions, yeah, right, that's all you think about. And so- these things you do, if you're good at something and it's in your face, you don't really think about it. You just think about it as something you don't even think you're good at it. You just say, okay, mm. this is something I'm, I'm doing. And then you just move on. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until like, even in med school. So like, like there are just these little dots, these little like pointers. Now that I look back in med school, I, um, 
applied, I was going to be a Schweitzer fellow. I wrote about Albert Schweitzer and how much he meant to me. Albert Schweitzer is this um, musician who became a physician and spent the rest of his life in Gabon, had a hospital called Schweitzer and his pretty well-known like um, Nobel Peace Prize, Nobel Prize winner. And he's a huge mentor of mine, like just a spiritual guide that I kind of look at, um, follow after. And I was even the one that wrote for my, uh, I wrote a few poems submitted to the med school journals. And then I wrote, I was the person who wrote the classes final words like the goodbye like the yeah so and, and I was also the one that was picked to say something for the cadaver that we dissected I'm just oh, now yes. it's not all coming back together so we had I had a really powerful experience with the cadaver that I was dissecting and I got to speak at its funeral like the the man's funeral mm-hmm. yeah um uh, as we were you know kind of saying goodbye to the body. And I spoke about my experience and the spiritual awakening I had from it. So like just looking back and connecting the dots, something about the way I express myself in writing apparently does connect. So um, mm. so that's kind of like my, but it was never something that I grew up. I think I didn't grow up with my dad. And looking back, I spent a couple of years with my dad in my teens. And I saw that he was always writing in, a journal or a book. So I suspect that I, and I didn't see any of that growing up. I grew up with my mom's family. I didn't see nobody read that I remember. Mm -hmm. And it was after I moved to my dad's in my late teens for a couple of years that I saw that side, that there was somebody is probably actually my DNA, somebody who writes, somebody Mm -hmm. who reads, who was a reader, who was a writer. So I suspect that I got that, not suspect. I know I got that from my dad, even though I didn't, I didn't, I didn't grow up with him, but the few years I spent, I definitely saw that that's where I got it from. Um, mm-hmm. And what does your yeah, writing so, sort of look like now? I'm curious. Cause I know, uh, yeah, and, so, and you, do you still practice medicine? Cause I know, no, you, you know, I know so, you do a lot of support for physicians, but I wasn't sure if yes. there was some little bit of practice in there that you still did. No. Okay. So no, what not is- at all. Um, so I, um, so I'm, I guess, a, what you would call a multi-passionate person. So obviously I went to med school and did the, the, the medicine thing. And um, I had a pretty intense burnout experience after I became a mom. And uh, I just felt like the ideals that brought me to medicine were incompatible with, with what I was actually practicing on the ground. And uh, being away from my, my kid, you know, working those 80-hour weeks, uh, being spending all of my time doing things other than helping people. I just didn't feel in alignment and it started creating this, you know, burnout to the space between your practice values and your, and your professed values, the things that you say are important to you. That space is where burnout lives. And I was so far away from the things I'm a very, I mean, my, my work is called the thriving idealist, right? Yeah. So I'm such an idealist. I really believe in sacrificing for the ideals you hold dear that you're you know wanting to do everything you can to master yourself to embody the ideals that that you feel like are important to you um it just made it was not sustainable for me to live a life where i was obviously not being of service the way i felt i needed to be of service so for mm-hmm. me i took a break from medicine and went into public health and it was during that that time in public health that i discovered this whole world you know, the thing about being in medicine or any silo for that matter is that you're in a silo. You think that that's yes. the only world there is. And then you realize there's this whole big world out there. There are writers or books or personal de- personal development. Where have you been my whole life? Ah. <laughs> and I discovered the world of personal development. I read the seven habits of highly effective people, which interestingly, I was given that book in the first year of college slacked off, didn't read it for the leadership program I was in. I was like, ah, whatever. And then it came back to me again, like 10, 15, (laughs) 20 years later. And I read it and I just had this, Mm. you know, so like just this, just my mind, just, it just was like, I was like, where have you been my whole life? And the world is so huge. I wanted to know more about personal development, organizational development. I wanted to learn more about burnout. I wanted to learn more about how do you thrive doing what you love? And I'm, you know, I want to make a difference in the world. I wanted to be, you know, more in the humanitarian side of things. And for me, it just made more sense to, to spend some time exploring that. And during that time was when uh, some of you have heard my story, if you're you're from the WDS space, during that time was when my dad died during a physician strike, during which um, 
Uh, he was in a, he had, he had been in a coma, had had a stroke, was in a coma in Nigeria and the doctors over there went on strike. And when they're on strike over there, they discharged him while he was still comatose from the ICU to some random clinic somewhere. And he was dead within 24 hours. So for me, it was kind of like, I want to know what this thing is where like, when you're so far gone from the, from the ideals that brought you to a profession that it just doesn't matter anymore. Like the vows I took, whatever, doesn't matter anymore, right? How do you deal with that? And so that was the journey that I got set on. And on that journey was when I started discovering like the World Domination Summit, Good Life Project, like these, you know, Jonathan Fields, Scott Dinsmore, like Chris Gillibald, you know, all of these, all of my, it was like, I entered this completely different portal and I saw that ordinary people, these people that I was, idolizing were just like me and they were writers they were all writers and that was when writing became normalized to me that's Mm -hmm. when I realized oh like this is something I can actually do and this is actually uh core to who I am without realizing so entering those universes was really like a huge um affirming kind of like a coming home I call those two places, the World Domination Summit and the Good Life Project, Good Life my motherships. Mm-hmm. It's funny that they're both dissolving, but um, yeah. but um, that was when I saw people could, who could write about anything. And that was when my, I feel like my writing, discovering Scott Dinsmore and, and James Clear in particular, those two mm-hmm. people um, learning about habits from James Clear and then learning about connecting with people and starting a website from Scott, from Scott Dinsmore, Dinsmore, that's when I started blogging because of that Scott is also Dinsmore. when I started blogging. It's so funny that you should say that because I haven't even thought about that. But I, yeah, Scott Dinsmore ran used to run this challenge. Um, yes. Start your blog in seven days. Something like yes, that. and I yes. joined that challenge. Like I've been talking yes. about starting a blog for years and years and yes. years. And then yes. one day I get this email yes. and I'm like, oh, I'm going to join this thing. And I joined the community. That is where yes. I met the person who told me about world domination summit in that blogging Facebook group, because we, uh, he had a blog, he's unfortunately passed away now, but he had a blog called create good mornings. And that's interesting because Scott Dinsmore passed too. And he he did Scott Dinsmore passed away as well. Live your legend, legend, your legend. Right. Yes. 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 And Mm -hmm. so I was in the live your legend blogging group. I met Craig, Mm -hmm. who was the guy from that world domination summit and we were, we were blog buddies. We used to read each other's blogs and give each other feedback. Wow. And that was, I always say like that, that was wow. what caused me to start my blog. Cause I always would, I used to write, I used to love e- writing emails to my friends, um, traveling. I would travel and I'd write these long epic emails about where I was visiting and whatever. And I kept saying, Oh, I'm going to start a blog. I'm going to start a blog. But having that space of, yes. of other writers who were yes. all starting out as well and yes. who were, giving you feedback and kind of like almost like building you up in a way to kind of have a space to share because I've, I've always been a believer in sharing um not that you have to share everything that you write but that like it is it is the act of sharing your writing that gives you the courage to share it further so first you have to find like yeah. a safe space to do that and for me yeah. that was the live your legend blogging group and so that's where I had met Craig um Kulik and then he actually gave away, he's, every year he would give away a ticket to World Domination Summit in the raffle and I won it. And that's how I met wow. Yvonne. <laughs> uh, yep. And also on, who've been on this show already, Jeff Harry was on season one. Yes. Gary Ware. I don't know whether his interview will be before or after yours, but he's on this season. He's, uh, his book is coming out. Uh, so yes. yeah. So it's been, yeah, it's so strange to think of how those little, you know, I always, I always think about the internet and the world like that, like random person here, random person there, connecting all these dots. And all of a sudden you're like doing burpees outside. Of yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. I had the, the, the burpee, burpee season for a while. That, yes. Oh, the burpees are gone now. I uh, met Yvonne doing burpees every morning <laughs> oh, outside, of, outside of the hall. Okay. And I was and, like, and I wasn't this crazy person. There was a purpose. And that's the one thing you're going to know about me. There's always yes. a reason, a purpose behind anything that I do, which I'm trying to work on because I need to learn to play more and just do things without any meaning, mm, without any any purpose meaning. Behind it. but, yeah, but yeah. I was doing the burpees. Um, um, uh, I'm part of, 
so I, I'm, I, obviously I'm, I'm a coach. I don't know. You're going to hear from my story, from my introduction. I am certified in many different certifications as a coach and positive psychology as a personal executive coach. Now that was what I was trying to say. Like after the burnout experience, I started focusing on physicians mostly, but then also like other helping professionals and leaders um, who are mission driven, kind of like the idealists who are, who are, being of service and trying to make a difference in the world and who have sacrificed a lot to be of service. So I wanted to help them thrive and help them, you know, also continue to make the difference that they're here to make in the world, but to be able to do that in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that became like my mission and super, I mean, it called me, I didn't go looking for it. It called me and grabbed me. And, <laughs> and so we've yes. been on this journey together. So I serve as an advocate, but I'm a coach and I'm certified in positive as a personal executive coach in positive psychology, because I wanted to know everything there was about resilience and thriving for the person, the specific person who is mission-driven and heart-centered, who went into their profession specifically to make a positive impact and then finds themselves like, what Not am I doing? doing? Where am I? I'm yeah. burned out, compassion fatigue. Like I have sacrificed so many years, so much blood, sweat, and tears. Like what now? Right. And so those are the people I feel like supremely passionate about and very, very kind of protective of, because I feel like the idealist, these people are the people that will sacrifice everything because they believe mm-hmm. so much so in much the mission. In the yeah. and, and so then they're more susceptible to being exploited in my opinion, mm-hmm. because most people who are focused on the you know bottom line money, like I don't care if it doesn't make anyone know leave, but the people who believe in the mission, really helping yeah. people will stay, will stay and literally like cut their wrists, whatever mm-hmm. is necessary at their own sacrifice in order to get it done. So those are people I felt very, very called to serve. And so that meant that I was getting certified as a personal executive coach in positive psychology. I went and got trained in all of Brene Brown's work. Mm. Dare to leave there anyway, because I felt like you know, like a lot of the things that I was suffering with, uh, with, you know, I thought I was the only one and I wanted to teach people how to be vulnerable and how to share and all of that. But then I realized that I was having them be vulnerable in places that are toxic. So then how do you learn to thrive in places that are toxic or like, or war zones and chaotic? Look at COVID. (laughs) But back then this hadn't happened, but I had that feeling that I wanted to get prepared for that. And so that's when I went and got trained with the retired Navy SEAL and got certified in um, an unbeatable mind and learned about mental toughness and emotional resilience. And as I was doing that, then I learned about their, they had a foundation called the Courage Foundation, which focuses on veterans with post-traumatic stress. To me, the military, the warriors, the veterans are the ultimate idealists because you're willing to die for the thing that you believe in. And so I felt like I wanted to do whatever you know, I was already like being of service to physicians, but I was like, I felt this like really intense, like devotion to the veterans and just this sense of, again, coming from the developing world where like democracy is like, like what's that? Right. And just mm-hmm. seeing these people who are willing to lay their, themselves down to, you know, right. To preserve democracy, whatever that means. And, you know, just for the mission. Right. I so then became very passionate about the the mission of Courage Foundation and and they had this challenge to do 22 million burpees um, and they were trying to get as many people as possible to do it and I signed up I mean look at me I'm a full figured you know black woman yes <laughs> like yes I am not the buffest I am not the buffest I have you know I'm well endowed what can I say but like I was doing it because I believed so much in the mission to yes. be of service so I wasn't some random crazy girl maybe I was like doing but, but that whole WDS that year I was doing all the burpees yes. I was trying to get my numbers I had pledged um 22,000 burpees that year mm. so yes. I was trying to get those burpees get them done. I, and then and I didn't think you were a random and crazy person money. But I know it, I, I felt like a random crazy person. Always, I always remember you as the girl who was doing the burpees outside the auditorium. And then someone, yes. I think it was your kids were like, is that you, mom? I was like, no. <laughs> like, we look like twins. And so that's how we just got, yeah. got to know each other. But um, I like the, the thing I love about the, the name, the thriving idealist, is I feel like, you know, I've in my life, I've always, when people call me an idealist, it's normally not. And it's normally not derogatory. A it's normally a derogatory. Yes, I'm taking back that word. That's right? part of my mission to take back that word. Because people think about the idealist as 
just dreaming in the clouds in the and sky. I'm unrealistic. Mm-hmm. No, the ideals means values. It means like virtues and values. So I believe that the true idealist is a person who believes so much in the ideals that they're willing to roll up their sleeves and get in the mud and they will sacrifice and do whatever. The person who's just there dreaming is not a true idealist. Mm, the yeah. true idealist is the one who has sacrificed and bled to make sure that they fulfilled and embodied those ideals that they hold dear. So yeah. I'm taking back that word. I love like, that. That's my, that's my, that's my stand. I am willing to die on that stand. Like, I, well, I absolutely but, um, love that because I guess I'd even recently I had a friend and she was like, you're such an idealist, but they, it's such a derogatory term. And I'm just like, just because, because I think for some people, they feel like because you're an idealist, it's almost like a refusal to accept the real world. And I'm like, I'm not crazy. Yeah. I can see the real world right there. But I feel like if you lose sight of those ideals, then you're just compromising your way away from what could be a good situation. If you keep those ideals in mind, you yeah, you might not reach them, but you're certainly going to have a much better chance of getting close to them than if you just keep compromising your way away from them. So I, I, I guess I'm, yeah. I'm, a cl- I'm happy to be an idealist, but I know it's not normally a positive term. So I love that you're taking yeah. that back. No, we're taking it. I'm, I'm starting, I'm on the move. I've, this has been what, 10 years, a 10 year journey to take that word back, which yes. is, you know, if you, if, when we get to the quote, I don't know when you want me to give you that quote, but we're my quote is actually, yes. um, is actually about that. I just wanted to let you know how you can support us over here at Writing Black Joy. Firstly, you can join our Patreon community over at patreon.com slash Sophia Robinson, and you'll find the link for that in the show notes. When you sign up over at Patreon to support us, you will get the opportunity to join our monthly group coaching calls and workshops that we'll be holding exclusively for Patreon supporters. So come on over and join the party. It's so much fun over there. Other ways you can support us? Hit subscribe here on your podcast or over on the YouTube channel. You can also leave a podcast review, like our YouTube episodes, and share us with your friends. You can head over to our website and sign up for our mailing list, www.writingblackjoy.com. Also, follow Writing Black Joy over on Instagram at Writing Black Joy. All of these will be in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and for supporting our show. One of the things I love about WDS, um, again, other than normalizing, is the writing for me was that that was where I think was in 2014. 2014 was the year that Chris Gillibo did. um, uh, He talked about, I think, the book, The Happiness of Pursuit. He had the book. And that same year was the year that, what's his name? AJ AJ Jacobs, um, the guy who always does these experiments. And he did the experiment on um, the whole year of living biblically, 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 where he... Yeah. So, and then, and then that's always funny. He tried to live like all the, everything in the Bible word for word. And it was hilarious, including like, you know, whether or not to have a sex with a woman when she's like pushing his woman out of the house when she was on her period and blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, I, I, whenever people talk about living biblically, the first thing that pops into my mind for some reason is burning down the house that has mildew. This is just some verse in Leviticus somewhere. And I'm just like, okay, <laughs> I don't know why, but for some so reason. He, exactly. So he was doing every, the whole Leviticus, that whole, yeah, he was doing yeah. every, and it's hilarious. And he's very funny. And oh, then that wow. same year, there was a poem catcher. It was, it was 20, 2014 was my first year. It was my first year at WDS. So there was, so there was also a poem, poem catcher. I can't remember his name now, but he was going around catching poems. He had this like, you know, butterfly nets. He was going around, he was dressed. It was really cool. And, and basically he would read different poems or different places at WDS. And also he would make people write. So, and this was my first year. And I, and I had burned out of medicine like a few years before that and had just, entered this portal that is WDS and Good Life Project. I had not, I hadn't even gone to Good Life Project yet. That was the same first year too that I went to Good Life Project. But at WDS, that was my first time entering this world in person. And he was going around and just asking and and reading poems or then asking people to write poems on the spot. So I hadn't done anything creative at all for many years because I'd had the burnout experience. I'd forgotten who I was. And he came to me 
and there was this cruise that we were, we were on and he tapped on me and, and asked me to write a poem. And I was like, I haven't done this. I'd forgotten who I was. And I sat down and like wrote something and I gave it to him. And when I did that on the spot, realizing that I could create anything on the spot, I came back from WDS that year and started like a year long quest to write a haiku a day. Um, yes, Yvonne tries haiku. I'm sorry. I know. I know. <laughs> you have so many um, hashtags that I absolutely love. Uh, the two I remember are Yvonne tries meditation and Yvonne tries haiku. Yes. yes. Yeah. So that's how Yvonne tries haiku started. And I didn't know anything about haiku. I'm not from, again, I'm not from this like, you know, rich background that way. The way, the way I even heard about haikus was during my, when I was crashing and burning during residency and I didn't, I didn't have any friends. And I was, um, I was an internal medicine and pediatrics combined residency where you squeeze six years into four. And I had yeah. a, like a four, four month old baby at the time, three months. Mm. And I was by myself anyway, just not a very good picture. <laughs> So I, was, I was in hell. But one of the things I remembered from that time was that when I would rotate through the pediatrics residency, you had to switch between the pediatrics, hanging out with the pediatrics department and then going to internal medicine. And whenever I'd go to the pediatrics, I just felt so alone. I mean, they were friendly, but they were all friendly together. And they would always talk about haikus that they'd written that day. And I was like, I don't know what that is. Nobody ever included me in the conversation. Of course, I'm the only black person too. So it doesn't help. It doesn't help me feel any more um, included, but they would talk about the haikus they'd written. They'd all talk about it. And the, the residency director is like talking with them. And I'm just like a mosquito on the wall. And that stayed with me because like I was like outside looking in, even though I was in the room, I felt very, I was burning out. I felt alienated. They were all younger than I was. I had this new baby and I had no support. My partner wasn't there at the time. So it was just like the really traumatic. I think it just kind of imprinted on me. But when I came back from WGS in 2014, and again, that was my first year. And that combination of the poem catcher, the, Happiness of Pursuit, where Chris Gillibald talked about, you know, the importance of like, you know, pursuing something like the happiness, the joy of that, and which is an amazing book, by the way. And then AJ Jacobs doing his year of living biblically, something about those three coming together. I just thought about, okay, I am going to write a haiku every day and share it. Didn't know anything about haikus. I just knew the rule five, seven, five. That was all I knew. Five, five syllables in the first line, seven syllables in the second line, and 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 um five again uh, in the third. Five again. So I was like, okay, so that's what I'll do. And so every day I'd write whatever I'd learned that day, I would write and just share. And some were good, some were bad, some were cheesy, some were corny. It didn't, I didn't care. What was important to me was learning how to create and do it consistently and not care about whether something was good or not, just learn how to, because I was so good at my, one of my things that people will know about me is that I am very good at hiding in plain sight. I am one of those people that I could be in front of you and you wouldn't know anything about me if I, if I chose, like I could just be there and focus on you and you, I could know everything about you and you would know nothing about me. So I was trying to learn how to allow myself to be seen, allow myself to create, because I was tired of this kind of hiding all the time. And so that became the thing. And um, I did that for, I think was like, ended up with like over a thousand and then I stopped. Um, and then throughout the pandemic, I started again. So I've written like one, but I haven't shared. So I stopped sharing consistently like after three years because I was like it was starting to become like a way of hiding in a way because then I was no longer writing long form yes <laughs> so I have like over a thousand haikus floating around somewhere on, on the internet and um uh and then I have quite a few more that I've written during the pandemic but the haikus were a great thing for me to do to like I really love like reflecting on what I've learned that day or like I'm, I can mm -hmm. be pretty like you know I can be pretty introspective that way. It kind of helps me process the day or like just kind of comment on whatever it is I'm struggling with, right? Just learning how to get it out, get it out and not judge myself so much and not get so perfectionistic as I can be, right? It can be crippling for me. Mm -hmm. uh, so the haikus was a great way. And then the blog, and then I co-wrote a book on thinking about quitting medicine with a group of yes. African-American uh, or Black 
physicians um, who were at the crossroads of like, you know, <laughs> when you get to that point where you're like, okay, do I quit or do I stay? And if I'm going to stay, how do I do that? So think of, and then songwriting, I did publish yeah. a, a, a demo. I did do a demo and got a record deal the same week or so as I got into med school and I chose to go to med school. <laughs> so those are all my writing kind of experiences. And I've just done a lot of writing and this is kind of varied and kind of all over the place. And, um, but yeah. Yeah. And that's good. I think, I feel like for a lot of us that, that is very true. We write, you know, I can think for me, like I said, it was those emails, it was my blog. I still blog, but, um, you know, I think for me, one of the hardest things when I sort of over the last couple of years started doing more uh, coaching for writers, editing and having to write like, you know, blog content, quote unquote, is yes. that like, I was just like, but I want to write my stories. <laughs> like I like, yes. you know, I write romance novels and superheroes and that type of thing. Yes. I still make the time for that. So um, I love your idea about the haikus, though, because I think the thing about a haiku is that it, it's so short that you kind of, it, it's it, like you have to almost get super creative in a way to kind yes. of put that information in such a short space. It's almost easier yes. to write long form and to write yes. 50 pages or whatever than it is to like encapsulate it into these few syllables. So I, 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 yes. I always love to see your haikus when they popped up. Yes. Tell me, we're not going to, uh, for those who've been watching this a long time, they probably follow the rhythm of all the questions. We're not going to get to all the questions for sure today. Uh, as I've been saying to all my guests, I'm sure I'm going to have to have Yvonne back because I feel as if I've, I've, everybody I've wanted to have back. So we'll have to do that at some point. But I do want to know why this topic of writing Black Joy is important to you. Because for me, it's it wasn't just about highlighting the writers and the creators, but it was also the joyful aspect of it. Um, you know, I've, anybody who's been listening to this for any amount of time knows my feelings on that. See, you know, us seeing ourselves reflected with joy. Why yeah, yeah. is it important to you? You know, it's important to me because, like I said, like coming up, I didn't, I didn't see it at all. It wasn't even like seeing right, right uh, joy. It was that I didn't see it at all. Like I didn't see it at all. So. And the thing with writing or creativity in general is that especially being black is that there are so many expectations or people have expectations of expectations of what they think you should write about or, and mm -hmm. people always want, wanted me to talk about race. I grew up exactly. in Nigeria I, and I live in the U S and I was born in the UK and like my, the way I see myself, I, I mean, I see my skin's color, but that's not like, all that I am like a lot of us immigrants we, we kind of have that thing where it's like you know you're I'm equal I'm I'm me yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. just happen to have chocolate skin right and so but people would think with creativity is sometimes everybody else is trying to impose their ideas on you and I feel like writing black joy is important to me because I feel like it's the place that I can be it's 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 okay to express whatever that is, right? I'm very geeky and nerdy about personal development, especially values. And so like, even though, even in my newsletter, my newsletters, which are actually how I do my long form writing now, and I'm starting to share more publicly now, but I write about values. I write about cultivating. That's my thing. My, my byline, my slogan for my thriving idealist is cultivate your light. And so I'm always writing about cultivating your values, cultivating self-mastery, cultivating creativity, cultivating, like I am all about, and, and people want me to write about other things, but part of my joy is, is having that freedom is being able to say, to write about, you know, like policing. I don't want to write about like, you know, whatever thing that black people are groaning about, like, like, don't, I'm like, let me be free to express myself. However, the spirit catches me. I want to fall. However, the spirit catches me and, um, and not have this, these idea. And I feel like my writing liberates me. It frees me because like people look at me and they have an idea of who they think I should be and they read my writing and like you cannot like no, no. matter how much you want to judge me, you cannot like you cannot help but see the writing as what it is, which I mean, like, yes. so it's like it's there's this title. Um, Kyle Newport says, you know, so good that they can't ignore you. I feel like with writing, 
it's the way in which like you just cannot ignore it like because like you mm. can't see the color of the writing <laughs> no you just you see, see the, the photo, writing but and I, I by the time that. you know it you're engrossed you're 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 already in I mean it's black and white you know it's like it's it's a leveler it's the equalizer um and um and to be able to share your authenticity and 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 we're such a we're not a monolith and to be able to share all the different colors of 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 our our lives and our personalities and and our perspectives all the different hues of that um like it just is i can get tell from my voice is like very exciting to me to be able yeah. to 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 be able to reflect that i feel like you know with this box that people try to put us in writing is a way of like saying what box you know yeah. there is no box. There, there is, is no, no box, box. Yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah I absolutely love that so much um I'd love you to share that quote with us now that you, you were talking yes. about earlier yes yeah so um being an idealist you know being all about ideals the there are two quotes the first quotes that um I was really about when I was coming up um because I felt like my writing had to be of service and that everything I did had to be of service was um, I don't know uh, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know is that the only ones who will have who will be truly happier are those who will have sought and found how to serve. That's by Albert Schweitzer. That's the one that the quote that got me all the way through med school, all the way through to here. But then as I started like discover learning about how how important values were to me and how important ideals were to me, there's this other quote that Albert Schweitzer had that I actually built my whole business, my whole work, my whole thing on, which is grow into your ideals so that life will not rob you of them. That's the quote I live by all day, every day, right? Because like we have these ideals that we say are important to us. We have to be able to embody them and cultivate them and grow into them or else life will take, like life will, when life hits, when life hits, like it's so easy to be like, oh, okay, no, mm-hmm. uncle, <laughs> like, crying yeah. uncle, you throw your hands up. Yeah. But when you've been cultivating them and you're deciding to embody, you know, it's a daily practice. It's like the difference between will I cuss this person out or will I take a deep breath and find a way to connect? Like I actually have to have those, like how will I grow into my ideals in this moment as opposed to how will I disconnect or uproot my From values in this moment? Are. It's like a moment to moment practice for me. And that's what I live by. That's what I build everything on. Grow into your ideals so that life will not rob you of them. Yeah. Oh, I really, really love that. And I like that because sometimes, like I've found over the over the sort of last couple of years with the pandemic, feeling like life was turning me into a person that I didn't want to be. And it's so, it's such a good way, it's a good reminder that like, every moment you still get to choose who you are regardless of what life is kind of throwing at you from the outside so I just love that that's an amazing quote I really 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 like it so just a couple more questions one is what's been one of your proudest writer or creative moments one of my proudest creative moments I mean like even though the book didn't I mean I didn't really appreciate the publishing process uh process Mm -hmm. Uh, I did I was very proud of the book that I co-wrote like being able to have the courage to get my story out uh Mm -hmm. it uh, just had a chapter in it but like being able to get that out was really really um and again it was like a medical like it was like a way of it was going to be of service so like I was very proud of that moment I think being able to ship out how many, I mean, being able to write how many at this point, like seven years worth, at least five years worth of haikus. It like, you know, that's something that, again, I, I, I'm one of those ADD types that people, you know, was labeled that I would not be able to finish anything or do anything mm. um, to be able to have such a consistent um, practice of writing um has been like incredible so I think those two um having a a good body of work of cultivating different values that I've written over the years yeah so I think for me that that is just just proud I think the proud proud pride thing would be the consistency that I've 
managed to have, even though I have all of these struggles and all of these challenges that I've had with, you know, getting divorced, becoming homeless at one point, being a single mom and, um, and losing everything somehow, somewhere in there, I've been able to discover this thing that allows me to express myself um, and it opens doors for me that I would never even consider walking through. Yeah, that's, I love that. And the one thing I want to say about the book that you wrote about um, thinking about leaving medicine, I think this is something that um, I've had so many conversations with medics, with dentists, people who have considered leaving the profession. I personally have as well. Um, and the reality uh, that it's hard to walk away from something when you've spent your, when you spent your life thinking that this, this is the thing. Yes. It's hard to do that. Sunk costs. Yes. And so like, and you know, one of the things that I spend a lot of my day, I spend, so my day to day is pretty much coaching a lot of physicians and helping professionals and, and also doing workshops. And I mean, I have dentists, I have vets, I have um, EMTs, I have PAs, I have all of them, even lab scientists. And, you know, people think that they have to blow up their lives and quit. And it's not, to me, that's not, I mean, I did that because I didn't know any better. I didn't have anyone going, Hey, Yvonne. And that's why I really went and studied Brene Brown's work. Cause I didn't have, I didn't know everybody else was struggling around me. If I had known, if someone had said mm. something to me and made me feel less alone, I would have stayed right? I would have, I would have found a way, but I didn't, I didn't know no one said anything to me. There was no support. And, and that's why I'm so passionate about what I do because people feel like they have to blow up their lives and it's terrifying. So then they stay stuck. Sometimes it's not about leaving the profession. Sometimes it's really about like rediscovering the values that brought you into the profession, which is what I spend a lot of my time doing with my clients. Cause people are like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. let's, let's deal with the burnout first because the burnout is that the values that brought you in this thing are not the values that you're actually practicing on a day-to-day basis. Let's no. rediscover what those values are because chances are you've forgotten them or they've been thrown away or you've been yeah. forced to abandon them, right? Because of whatever um, system you're in. Yeah. How can we rediscover what those values or ideals are and bring you back into alignment so that, you can then like feel the sense of right purpose again. And, and, and the, mm-hmm. and sure enough, when we do the values work and of course there's other stuff we do as well, but when we do the values work, especially that's where I really see when they come into alignment, then suddenly it's like, it's not really about leaving. It's about finding the right spot. It might be that you might have to move to another spot or find a different position or maybe find a different, you know, practice or whatever, but it's not necessarily about blowing your, your blowing up your life is not even in alignment with your ideals. So please don't do that. Right. So mm. especially if you have a family or kids being yeah. able to spend some time for some introspection, recalibrating, mm. really coming into alignment. And then from there, then you can see like which way to go. Yeah. But it's so and from that place, from an empowered place, as opposed to empowered and aligned place. The- place where you're so burnt out that any like you know th- there were times when I felt like I would pick the trash up rather than do this thing yes. and you don't want to yes. make decisions from that place because from that place it's not a sensible place to make those decisions from right it's not empowering so, and if anything it robs you of your options and you want to be able to make and it's out of alignment and that ends up costing because that's what I did I just I was like f this blow it up and like it destroyed my life I yeah. literally had to rebuild my life from scratch, like redesign yeah. it. So yeah. I always tell people like, it's not about, yes, burnout sucks, but it's not really about blowing up your life. It's about pausing and really coming back into a, assessing where you are, coming back, seeing how far you, off you are from what really matters to you, coming back into alignment from that and making your decisions from mm-hmm. there. From that place. Because yeah. then you can see. Because the values light light up. They they they're yeah. like the headlights. They're like the guideposts and the compass. So if you're driving around in the dark without a GPS, like yeah. you're gonna crash. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so true. It's so so true. Um, well, one last question before I uh, ask folks ask you to tell folks where they can find you is what advice might you give uh, a creative, multi passionate person such as yourself? Yeah. Um. The advice I would give would be a couple. 
um, because I feel like it's never just one thing, but authenticity, I think, is the most important thing. Being a, I think recently I've been kind of looking back on my life for whatever reason, feel like I've, I've been having these, I saw a video recently of myself from five years ago and I was saying something that I could have said today and I was just like, wow, like younger Yvonne, like you're, you're, you're still on the path. And she was being authentic to who she was then. And a lot of us are like looking out there, like to, I mean, I'm always looking at future me and, and, and all of that. But the thing is, the, f- the future self that you're looking for is actually in you. It's just a matter, it's just a matter of unfolding and like this idea of constant emergence. You're just chipping, the more you do the work, the more you chip away on the surface and the more the, you know, the truer and higher self continues to emerge. But all of that is in you. All of that to say that the space between where you are and where you want to be is really the practice. So being true to yourself and showing up, making the commitment to show up no matter what, being able to express whatever it is, however imperfect it is. I think for some of us, perfectionism can be paralyzing where it's like, we have this idea. I know that's what almost destroyed me with the guitar because like in my head, I'm hearing like Jimi Hendrix, I'm hearing Jimmy Page. I am a hardcore, hard rock, like classic rock, you know, like Lenny Kravitz, all these people who are amazing. And I play and I sound like, you know, it's like, point, point, you know, it's like, so, but because I see that space, it's such a huge gap. I don't want to practice. I don't want to play because I sound like crap, but being able to, you know, authentically be yourself and then choose to show up. And it's in the showing up that we get better and we bridge the gap mm. between where we are and where we want to be. So that authentic, uh, authenticity is so important. We look around and we see, you know, and your creativity is really the antidote to comparison. You look around yes. and you see people doing all kinds of things and you feel like you need to copy them. You really want to be authentic to yourself and allow yourself to express whatever is coming up. Because that's everything, everything that we, um, every contribution that we make in this life that is going to be of any value is going to be out of our creativity. That's what Brene Brown says, right? So, so what you create is your legacy. What you create is how you make your mark in the world. And so even if it's imperfect, which it will be a hundred percent of the time, right? That's where it's at being able to show up as you are and be able to show up authentically. And if anything, try to be as consistent. I think consistency is, has been like the, for me, consistency has been the catalyst has been like the Mm -hmm. secret sauce um learning how to build consistency as a muscle learning how to cultivate consistency was never something that i was good at i had a very chaotic background so consistency was was very like this faraway thing and i had to be that's part of why i did the haikus learning to really value consistency and and became a sexy word to me and that's the thing that i feel Mm -hmm. like i am constantly trying to cultivate Um, And so authenticity, right. Showing up, creating consistently, and then the quality will improve as you continue to show ahead. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, So where can anyone who is interested find you? Uh, You know, I know you do a lot of workshops uh, in terms of you have obviously your, you do the the Daring Way from Renee Brown. You have obviously your personal uh, private coaching practice. Where can people find you? Thriving idealist that you are. Thrivingidealist.com, Ivana Tora. Everyone, Ivana Tora is like the hub for everything. It's my website is, (laughs) yeah, it's not, I mean, it is what it is, but like, that's where you'll probably find like all the links to like my Thriving Idealist work, Thriving Physicians, um, some of my writings, Um, but Ivana Tora at all the handles. um, I'm not really as consistent with social media, not because I can't be consistent, but more trying to keep the noise down as much as I can in my life. But um, on all the social media, whether whether it's Twitter or uh, Instagram or Facebook, yeah, Ivana Tor um, is the handle and website as well. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me, Ivana. I had a, a I have a question that I'm going to save for our next conversation, which I'm sure will spark Ask off. Ask it if you want. It's okay. <laughs> other thing, but uh, I have to say, I, I honestly do feel like I'm going to have to just do a do another season where I'm like, I'm just bringing back all my favorite guests, which is going to be everyone, and uh, do it all over again because it has been so much fun. Really enjoyed. Well, chatting. I definitely want to have you on my podcast, Thriving Idealist, when when 
it gets it gets out but i yes. would absolutely love that i would love that thank you so much appreciate you and uh let's keep twinning i'll see you see you out let's there keep twinning I'm, I'm loving your hair i'm loving I'm, I'm loving it so so much yeah. well that's okay um i i look forward to seeing you in the internet streets <laughs> all right sounds good all right everyone you take else care. that's watching happy reading everyone Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about our guests in the notes below. And don't forget to hit subscribe to subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss new episodes when they drop. And if this has inspired you to get your own writing project into the world, click on my website below and learn how you can work with me as a writing coach or an editor. Until next time, I send you big love from a small island.